0: This is the Simi Sarah Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk.
1: Thanks for being with us. Jill Bennett sitting in once again for Simi Sarah. Gord, good morning to you. Good morning. Lots to talk about this morning.
0: Holy cow, yes, there is.
1: Uh, no big surprise, I think, is what we're hearing from a lot of people that the judge in the Gian Gameshi case acquitted Gameshi and all four. Accounts uh, of sexual assault uh, and the uh, charge of choking in the case. So we'll take a quick listen as we get right into what's happening right now.
0: Ontario Court Judge William Hawkins says the three complainants in the case were simply not credible, given their shifting memories and evidence. The women testified they were being romantic with Gomeshi when he briefly turned violent in separate incidents in 2002 and 2003. Gomeshi had pleaded not guilty to all charges, saying what happened was consensual. The trial sparked a nationwide debate on how the justice system treats its victims. Roger Ward, the Canadian Press, Toronto. Jill, I, I'm, Roger there, I think, maybe uh, was, uh, how did I, he kind of sugarcoated what the judge said in some ways. He sa- As Roger pointed out, um, the judge found that the three complainants were not credible, but... Some of the quotes coming out of the hour-long judgment by William Horkins, I think uh, there's much sharper criticism of the complainants. He said each complainant was less than full, frank, and forthcoming in information they provided to media, police, counsel, and the court. He says their evidence was tainted by outright deception. So... The big question that we've been asking with the Gomeshi case for the last number of months is, you know, is this uh, how we prosecute uh, sexual assault accused, how we handle the victims of sexual assault, how the justice system handles them? And some people today are saying, you know, see, this shows that complainants can't get a fair deal. Although the judge says, wait a minute here, maybe it's not how we handle sex assault victims, and it's not the justice system it's these three witnesses he found they uh, at least one of the three outright tried to deceive the court so no case regardless of the subject matter no case is going to go forward for the crown if its star witnesses are are deceiving the court uh, it was pretty i think jill you you mentioned many legal observers after the way that the trial went thought that uh, Gomeshi may be acquitted, but I don't know if anybody anticipated the harsh criticism of the three complainants. Sandy Garasino, uh, who we talked to a little bit earlier, former prosecutor, says she's never heard such harsh criticism. And she says these three complainants are the ones who need to take responsibility for the, for what they said in the courtroom not necessarily how the justice system treats the victims of, of sexual assault. But that's going to be a big debating point over the next few hours, and the next few days.
1: And, and Gord, the story today is the verdict, which we heard this morning. But the verdict in my mind is not the story. Whether Gian Gameshi was found guilty or, or, or not gu- guilty, uh, to me doesn't matter. Whether Gian Gameshi was sent to jail or walks free, in the grand scheme of things, I don't care. What I care about is what This case does exactly what we're talking about, what it does going forward. Was it the failing of these three witnesses? Was it the failing of the crown? Uh, Was it how we treat people? I personally am getting a little tired of men telling me how women are supposed to act after they're assaulted. I've heard time and time again during this case. And every time I hear it and I heard it again this morning, I kind of shake my head because no offense, Gord, but men have no idea what it's like to be in the position of being a woman who has been assaulted. Yet they seem to think that they know about it and they seem to think that they can dictate how women are supposed to act. So we're going to talk a bit more about that coming up in the program. But as you said, we also have a lot of legal analysts who are talking about this. So we have a lot of people who watched the trial and quite, quite openly wrote about it and talked about it. We knew this thing was going off the rails in the beginning,
0: Yeah, we did. And I think your point is an excellent one because I think, uh, and and, uh, certainly when you talk to some of the reporters in the courtroom who who listen to the hour-long judgment, uh, you know, the judge, I think, did talk about the point, the very point you made about the issue of what happened after and and all that, how they're supposed to react. Uh, I don't know if it negates his criticism of complainants who may be deceiving Uh, the court, or only telling half the court, uh, you know, telling half what happened and not telling a bunch of other things, which came out in the cross-examination. Um, Sandy Garasino says, for instance, this, this is a setback for the prosecution of sexual assault uh, in Canada. It is a setback for uh, the victims of sexual assault, uh, whether we like it or not because of, of, of this case. But your point is an excellent one, and certainly I would urge you to ask the reporters in the courtroom on that because I think the judge did talk a little bit about exactly what you were saying.
1: Uh, we also uh, talk about cases uh, like this. Uh, if someone is a victim uh does that mean that someone also is always telling the truth uh i'm not i'm not going to come out and call these women a liar the judge did not use the word liar in the judgment but as you said he he found uh, he used the word deceit uh, he found that they weren't credible uh, and that's why jeong gameshi was acquitted uh, can someone be both Why? why can't someone, we've seemed to draw this line, you're either a victim or or you're somebody, or you're a liar, or you're a victim or you're somebody who tells the truth. I I just don't think, I don't think we can define people like that. Could someone not be both of those things?
0: I think the judge said at one point that very point that you're saying. The only, he also pointed out, though, that the problem that um, they had, the Crown's case had, was that everything rode, on the credibility of the complainants, in other words, what they said uh, there wasn 't a ton of physical evidence or outside evidence that would point to guilt or acquittal. so if the credibility of the witnesses is such that he 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 or she the judge, has to throw it out, then the way this case um, the way this case presented, then basically the case against uh, you know he he was acquitted uh so yeah the the point you make he actually I think there is a line in which he says that people can. Can be both, but he still has to judge the credibility based on the evidence before him, and uh, in this case, he ruled that the uh, the complainants overall were not credible enough to convict uh, Gomeshi. Uh,
1: And uh, one more point on this, uh, and what we haven't talked about a ton as well is we are focusing on the trial because again today was the verdict. But uh, Gomeshi was fired. Gomeshi was the star. Of CBC. He was the host of Q. He brought in fans. He brought in revenues. He was fired because the CBC learned something about him. He started to fight it and he dropped his fight of the fact that he lost his job. Uh, He might not be somebody who's guilty. Well, he's not guilty of sexual assault. He was acquitted, as we know. Uh, That doesn't mean he's not a creep. It doesn't mean he's not a narcissist. His entire life was being celebrity. And that is gone because of something that the CBC knows And because of that, he was fired. I hate to use the cliche of where there's smoke, there's fire, but there clearly is something to this case.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I did ask one of uh, the people we interviewed, Sandy Garasino, I said, well, does this, um, you know, first off, does this verdict mean one of the complainants can be charged with uh, perjury? And she said, yeah, that's not out of the question, although she said the way the judge presented it, it looked as if the judge was trying to protect the Crown from a malicious prosecution case by Gomeshi. But to your point... I asked her, this says, Well, does this mean that, you know, he can get his job back and CBC was wrong to fire him? And she points out, No, CBC fired him the day they saw evidence of violence against a woman. They saw evidence of violence against a woman, and he was fired the next day. So uh, there's no indication that that's going to change. That the CBC is somehow going to have to take him back because on these particular charges he's been found not guilty. And again, that speaks to your point about yeah, the guy loves rough sex, a narcissist, celebrity, uh, all of the all of the really really unseemly things that we've learned about Gian Gomeshi. None of that changes with today's court verdict.
1: We will talk about this uh, at length throughout the rest of the day, but we'll take a short break before we continue talking about what is happening right now. Hey, this is Charmaine De Silva from the CKNW Newsroom. You're listening to the CKNW Sydney Sarah Show, and this is What's Happening Right Now.
0: He was into to the playground. I was pushing this through with her daughter, and it over to the sidelines of the field. And then I went back to get him, you know, push him on the swing or whatever he was playing on, and he wasn't there.
1: That uh, was Bruce Dunahy speaking.
0: Every parent's nightmare, Jill. It doesn't happen very often when a child just literally disappears, uh, never to be seen or heard from again. Uh, it is the kind of thing that wakes up parents in a cold sweat at night. Um, it's the boogeyman. Uh, but it did happen. Michael Dunahy, 25 years ago today, Victoria Playground, springtime, uh, and he disappeared. Um, and we have never heard or seen from him since. He'd be 29 years old today. Uh, Victoria police on the 25th anniversary are reminding all of us that uh, there's still a tip line and they're still taking information. They're hoping to get the tip that someday will give the Donahue family some closure, uh, which is code words for um, probably not alive. But Crystal, the mom, uh, says while it still feels very raw, Crystal Donahue, she still does uh, hold out hope that someday... um, You know, he may walk in.
1: Uh, I remember uh, listening to her, seeing her interviewed a few years ago, too, and she, she made the point saying she has never turned down an interview or an opportunity to talk about this because she says that might be the one. If her son is still still out there, that might be the one that he sees. It might be the one or the one that leads to a tip or that leads it. I mean, can you imagine, like you said, the nightmare of going through that? And and for 25 years now, every time she speaks, wondering, will this lead to a tip? Will this lead to some information on what happened to my son?
0: We've had a couple of uh, stories in the States. There was the terrible story, was it... Philadelphia where the man was holding the women in the in mm-hmm. the house of horrors and one had been in there for ten years. If I remember correctly, uh there was three women. Yes. Was it Philly? I um, believe so. I'm trying to remember that terrible one. And then there's the one where the young girl was taken and, and uh she was down in the southern southwestern states uh... arizona or whatever and i, I must apologize to the listener because some of the listeners will know the case really well and she was gone for a long time and eventually uh... reconnected with the family so every once in a while there's one of these stories Um but you know and if it if it was somebody who killed him would they finally have remorse and admit on their deathbed that yeah you know i'm a pedophile or i'm a killer and i took this kid and i murdered him something or or something uh, you know uh, a miracle that he's still alive and and somebody took him and brainwashed him and somehow he reconnects with his family we just don't know it's it's a hollywood script uh, but it's real life for this victoria family and it, Uh, Comes back, and our listener knows the picture, Jill. Oh, of course. Anybody who's followed news in the last 25 years in British Columbia knows the picture, and you're going to see it again on our website and on the news websites today, the picture and the little videos of of four-year-old Michael Dunahy that we haven't seen since.
1: All right, so we will continue on. We'll talk about that a bit more. But uh, next on the list of what is happening right now. It's a violation of my personal space. feels like I'm being threatened to be silent. Uh, Gord, that is Layla Yule, a well known political blogger. She says that last night she was posting about the Site C dam and she was hacked, both her Twitter account and her blog. And she says she's not going to put up with it. She'll keep on writing, she'll be calling the RCMP, and she's pretty upset. She probably has
0: by now. She was talking to our Emily Lazaton in the newsroom at about 2 a.m. Uh, so uh, shortly after 10, she Um, posted up on her blog a commentary about Site C. Uh, She often uh, talks about uh, uh, safety issues in Surrey with violence uh, and that kind of thing, transportation issues. Um, She can be a pain in the butt for some of the power groups in society because she asks sometimes some hard questions. Whether you like her politics or not, uh, she's got a right to to say what she does, and that was uh, stopped. Uh, Someone tried to put an end to that last night. She was able to get back up on Twitter uh, with a new account. So somebody hacked into her blog and uh, took away everything off the site, and somebody uh, hacked into her Twitter account. Uh, Vulgarities and profanities, claiming they're anonymous, um, but she doesn't really think it's the group anonymous because of the uh, vulgarity. She thinks it's more likely someone with a personal vendetta to try and keep her quiet, and she says, I won't be quiet, I'll keep writing.
1: There you have it. We'll take a short break before we continue with what's happening right now. Hi, it's John McComb. You're listening to The Simi Sarah Show on CKNW, and this is what's happening right now.
0: Police here have focused on finding the bomber who survived the airport blast and identifying a second suspected attacker at the subway station who was seen on
1: surveillance footage before the blast there. That was Aaron Kutursky with ABC News. As the investigation in Brussels continues, we also saw a vigil last night right here in Vancouver, vigils around the world.
0: Yeah, it's kind of fitting, I guess, pouring rain (laughs) on the steps of the Vancouver Art Gallery. Some people turned out just to honour the victims, the 31 dead, uh, over 300 wounded, and some may still pass away from what happened Tuesday in Brussels at the airport and at the subway station. Uh, It turns out now prosecutors there think there are two bombers uh, two people who participated, who survived and are on the run, so they're after them. Uh, they're now linking much more directly what happened Tuesday to the Paris attacks in November that killed 130 because some of the Paris attack um, uh, suspects stayed at the place of one of uh, the brothers who uh, are believed to have died on Tuesday. So they're tying it much more closely. And uh, Salah Salam who is the man believed to have driven the Bataclan terrorists to the theater in uh, that night in November in Paris. He has now waived extradition. Uh, So um, in a court hearing this morning in Brussels, he didn't have to appear. His lawyer appeared. And said that his client wants to get uh, out of Brussels as soon as possible. Of course, the French are dying to get their mitts on Salah Abdeslam. Up until Tuesday, he was the most wanted man in Europe and believed to be. Uh, some have called him the mastermind of uh, all of the attacks in Paris uh, back in November. So, and we don't we don't know why, but mm-hmm. he has now suddenly stopped his opposition to being extradited to France. Uh, and uh, now the lawyer wants another month to look over the record, but um, if he if he doesn't fight it, then he'll be moved to France, and they'll prosecute him. Of course, this is the guy Donald Trump two days ago said they should be waterboarding uh, to try and get more information out of him about future attacks uh, that this cell may undertake in Europe.
1: All right, Gord, thank you so much. That is Gord McDonald from the CKNW Newsroom. We'll take a break. Your news to 10.30, coming up next.
0: This is News Talk 980 CKNW, Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk.